I know that you guys have been talking about intimacy with God, you know, what it means to pursue an intimate relationship with our Lord and with our Savior. And I think that that is so amazing because that, as Pastor Peter said last week, that is the crux of what this thing is all about, right? God isn't concerned with us doing a whole bunch of things or keeping all the right rules. God desires for us to be known and accepted fully without fear of rejection. That is awesome and it's powerful. So this morning, in keeping with that, I'm going to be talking to you all about God's love for us. The depth of God's love for you and for me. And I have to say um, that this is a topic that's very close to my heart. Very close to my heart. Um, One thing that many people don't know about me is I am, I can be extremely critical of myself. I can tell you right now that there is not a character flaw, there is not an annoying habit, there is nothing irritating about me that you could notice and point out to me that I have not already noticed about myself and agonized over. I'm very hard on myself at times. And see, what happened to me early on in my faith was uh, I believe that God felt about me the same way I felt about me. So my logic was, if this thing irritates me so much, if this thing about myself disgusts me, how much more so must it disgust God? And see, the problem with thinking like that, apart from the fact that there is absolutely no freedom in that, right? There's no liberty in that. But what would happen is when I would mess up, when I would sin, as we all are prone to do, what I would do was completely pull away from God. This was a huge hindrance to my faith. I wouldn't pray. I wouldn't pick up a Bible, let alone read something in it. I think my logic was that I was sort of punishing myself, right? Like, you know, like, oh, God, I got to protect you from all this ugliness down here, Lord. So I'm just going to go over here to the side. I'll get myself together. And once I get myself together, then, you know, then we'll be all right. I'll come before you again, right? Crazy. And the sick thing is what usually would sort of snap me out of this kind of a slump um, is that something bad would happen in my life. So when something bad happened, I felt like, oh, good, that was the punishment. Yep. Because, of course, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, that wasn't sufficient for my sin. No, no, no. This thing, this, this was it. And so then I would come to God and I would repent and, I, you know, we'd have a wonderful time of being really close to God because I'd feel like I had fallen away and now I've run back to you, Lord, and you've accepted me until I sinned, right? And this cycle would repeat itself. One of the biggest revelations for me as a believer was that God did not see me the way I saw myself. <laughs> that God did not respond to my shortcomings and my failures the way I responded to my shortcomings and my failures. So this morning, I hope that, um, that this message will be deliverance for anybody um, who's sort of trapped in the same kind of lie that I was trapped in. All right, so let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, and we're going to read verse 16. And yes, that's what I said. John 3, 16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So this is probably one of the most familiar passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. Long before I was a Christian, long before I had ever actually read a Bible, I could quote for you this verse, (laughs) Scripture and verse, right? It's extremely familiar. Um, I don't... Probably none of you guys remember this, but like way, way back in the day when I was a little kid, there was some guy who would go to football games and he would hold up a banner and he'd be just all over the country, all kind of games, and he'd always hold up this banner that said John 3.16 and he'd get a little airtime, John 3.16, like this was huge. This was on every track I ever received from a male, well-meaning, you know, Christian trying to save my soul. This is the verse that every friend of mine who didn't want me to go to hell pulled out, right? This is... This is it, John 3, 16. (laughs) Um, And this verse is so familiar that I'm not going to lie. So as I was um, preparing to preach this, I remember just feeling like, okay, really though, Holy Spirit? John 3, 16, that's what you, okay, I guess I could do that. (laughs) Because see, like we want our sermons to be deep, profound, right? I want to like be able to shed light and do some, some cool things. I'm like, but John 3.16 doesn't quite seem to fit the bill. It's so familiar to us that it's become trite. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whosoever loves him shall not perish but have eternal life. We can recite it in our sleep. And because it is so familiar, because it has become trite in our minds, the powerful truth that it communicates about God's relationship to us, God's feelings towards us, God's devotion to us, I think have also been lost. So I think one of the reasons why this verse is so powerful, popular, I guess, is because when, in a nutshell, it kind of, you know, sums up salvation, the question of why Jesus. And you really see that when you read the entire passage that it's in. So we're going to read verses 16 through 20, and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to, be, to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. So God sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins that we could be saved. But to be saved, you have to believe in Jesus Christ. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, then you're going to go to hell. Okay, so that clearly is not the most elegant paraphrasing of that verse, but you get the picture. In a nutshell, this sort of answers the question of why Jesus? What is salvation all about? I know that this is why my friends always brought this up. When I would ask them questions about God, when I would ask them questions about Jesus Christ, this is what they had to explain it all. But I want to submit to you this morning that what makes this verse so powerful and so profound is not that it's a neat sort of pad answer to why Jesus. Not that it explains salvation in a nutshell, but it reveals something very deep and powerful about God's heart towards us. And I want to further submit to you that part of the reason that we as believers struggle so much 
in this Christian life is because we treat the powerful truth that this verse reveals as something easily overlooked. We don't really believe it. It's trite. It's simple. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. All right, so I want you to repeat after me. Say, the Bible contains... Y'all gonna have to wake up. I promise y'all gonna have to wake up. The Bible contains (laughs) the word of God. It does not contain God. The Bible contains the word of God. It does not contain God. So God desires intimacy with us. He desires to be fully known. He desires us to be fully known and accepted by him. But he also desires to be fully known, right? God wants us to know him. God is constantly revealing himself to us. I think that the whole of Scripture from beginning to end is a testimony of God constantly trying to reach his people, saying, here I am, this is me, see me, experience me. God wants us to know him. He wants to be known by us. The Bible itself, just the physical Bible, is evidence of this. This is a way that God has chosen to reveal himself to us in these texts. And this is important because when we understand that the Bible is God's way of revealing himself to us, of making himself known, then I think we can better take, we can take seriously the imagery that God uses to talk about himself. We won't just treat it as, you know, oh, that's cute. That's flowery language. No, we have to then look at that and interrogate that and say, what is God saying about himself when I read this? So throughout the Bible, we find metaphors of God as a parent. One of the ways that God has chosen to talk about his relationship to us, our relationship to him, is that of a loving parent. Jesus tells his disciples to call God Father when he teaches them how to pray. And Paul tells us in Romans 8:15 that the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought, brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So this passage talks about sonship, adoption, and we find this, this word, Abba, and that's more than just father, that's daddy, right? That's familiar, that's intimate, that's close, daddy. In the book of Luke, we find imagery of God as mother. Um, Luke 13, 33 reads, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. And there are many more illustrations of parental metaphors in the Bible. This is clearly a way God has chosen to talk about his relationship to us, and this is powerful imagery. Any one of you who have children know how intense that kind of love can be. I would die for my children in a heartbeat. Um, When one of my kids cries, that kind of cry that, you know, the kids cry when they're really, really hurt, when something has happened and it's not just, I want my puppy, you know, whatever it is, but that deep, painful cry, it literally hurts me. Like, I have a physical reaction to it. And in that moment, the only thing I can think about is trying to make it right. 
I would do anything to protect my children. And this may sound terrible coming from a preacher in a pulpit, but I would hurt you behind my kids. (laughs) The imagery of God as a loving parent is powerful for many of us. But I think that for some of us, this imagery um, is lost. And there are a number of reasons for that. For one, you know, we experience love from parents in various ways. For some of us, our parents and our homes were very conditional. The message that was sent was, you know, you are loved as long as you are lovable. You are accepted as long as you follow the course that we have laid out for you. For others of us, it was worse than that. Some of us have experienced abuse at the hands of our parents, violence at the hands of our parents. And so any kind of love, conditional or otherwise, would have been welcomed. Uh, I remember in seminary there was a woman um, who had shared her testimony about, you know, some things she experienced in her childhood. And this is someone who for years had been abused by her father. And she is convinced or was convinced that her mother knew about this and just, for whatever reason, didn't do anything, allowed the abuse to happen. Um, So one of the biggest hurdles for her being saved was the fact that we talk about God as father, right? She was like, if God is like a parent, (laughs) I don't want to have anything to do with that. I'm good. And so praise God through the Holy Spirit, she was able to be saved. But even as a believer, even as someone in seminary studying to be a pastor, the, the use of parental language was problematic for her, and especially um, paternal language. It just, she struggled with it. See, we have, and if you have children, we are <laughs> imperfect parents. I am very aware that despite my and my husband's best efforts and best intentions, our children are going to come with some sort of emotional scar because of us. It's just going to happen. My daughters will have some sort of insecurity in their life that they will have to get over because of us. They are going to have some sort of trait, some sort of character flaw, some kind of baggage because of us. It just I have mine because of my parents, and they were awesome, but it just happens. We are flawed people. We have flawed parents. And so no matter what your experience of love from your parents was, whether you had the worst parents imaginable or the best parents imaginable, we can't make a one-to-one correlation between God as a loving parent and our parents. Another reason that I think... um, this imagery is lost on us, is because, again, a lot of it is paternal. Now, that makes sense. Given the time the scripture was written, you would expect that to be the language that people would use. And quite frankly, the fact that there is any sort of feminine language about God in scripture, I think, is a testimony of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But a lot of it is paternal. And in our culture, we don't associate nurturing and tenderness with fathering. If I were to ask you guys to close your eyes right now and just imagine someone kissing a child's boo-boo or imagine someone rocking a child to sleep and singing a lullaby, I don't care how great your father was, you probably are going to see a woman, a mom. 
These are powerful images in our culture. And I was not convinced. You could not have told me before I had children that I was like, that I held these sort of beliefs. Um, I married a man who was awesome. I had no doubt in my mind that he was going to be very hands-on, that he was going to be very nurturing. I knew he would do all of those things. And then we had kids, and I was right. Very hands-on, very nurturing. The first time my oldest daughter, Hadassah, got sick, and we both raced to the room because she was crying, and he got there before me and had the audacity <laughs> to pick her up and comfort her and not give her to me once I was clearly present in the room. <laughs> I realized that these images had, in fact, <laughs> impacted me. I was like, that's, oh, that's so cute. That's awesome. But mommy's here now. <laughs> there were moments over the course of her being an infant where I just, I have distinct memories of just staring at the back of his head <laughs> thinking, if you don't give me my child <laughs> right now, right? I'm mama. I'm mommy. It was, it's my right. I'm the one that nurtures. I'm the one that makes it all better. <laughs> So now, I, you know, we have two children, and I have clearly gotten over that. And, and, you know, and being married to my husband has confirmed for me that fathers are absolutely just as nurturing and as tender and as loving as mothers. You know, when my kids get hurt, we both run. We both kiss boo-boos. We both sing lullabies. But unfortunately, this is not the dominant image in our culture. And so... For us, when we hear things like, you know, the Lord will wipe every tear from our eye, it's hard to imagine what that might be like, because that's not our association of what a father is. So, <laughs> because of our culture, because of our backgrounds, because of our baggage, it is sometimes difficult to fully comprehend the depth of God's love for us when we think about God as a parent. But did you know that God so loved you that he sent his son? At the start of this sermon, I said that I believe that John 3.16 is so powerful because it reveals a deep truth about God's heart towards us. Like I said, regardless of whether you had great parents or awful parents, whether you are a great parent or an awesome parent, the image of God as a loving parent alone is not enough to communicate how much he loves us. But John 3.16 reveals something so much deeper, so much more powerful, so much more incomparable than that. God so loved me, God so loved you, that he sent his son to die. Um, if you were to listen to some of my earlier sermons, you would hear me say things like, you know, we serve a God that loves us so much that he took on flesh and died for us. And that's true, right? The Bible tells us that we serve a God that is um, we, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three in one person. God took on flesh. He died for us. The book of John tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say, and the Word took on flesh and dwelled among us. Saying that God loves us so much that he took on flesh and died for us is not inaccurate. But I think it falls short of communicating the depth of God's devotion and love to us. Dying for someone that you love is not hard for us to imagine. Many of us would give our lives for a parent, 
or a friend or a child or a spouse in a heartbeat. Some of us can even imagine giving our lives for a cause that we believe in. That kind of sacrifice is not hard to grasp. And in some ways, it's not that remarkable. I mean, if, if I were to tell you that someone, you know, gave their life saving their child, it would be tragic, right? It would be horrible, a horrible thought, but not incomprehensible. I mean, that's what we sort of expect from a good parent, that you would do anything to protect your child. I would give my life to save my children in a heartbeat. I would give my life to save my husband in a heartbeat. I would not give my children's lives for anything. See, that's a love I can't fully comprehend. <laughs> that is a level of devotion that I can't fathom. That is the depth of the Father's love for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved you. For God so desired to be in an intimate relationship with you that he sent his Son to die. So um, anyone who would have talked to Carlos or I, um, you know, in the first few weeks after we had brought our youngest daughter, Prisca, home from the hospital, uh, would have heard us talk about the difficulty we had with her sleep schedule. Our little miracle from God on high decided that the best times to be awake, like the time when it should be on and popping, were between the hours of midnight and, say, four or five in the morning. And it wasn't enough for her to just be up, right? She couldn't just be awake and maybe you lay her down next to you or sit her on your lap. No, 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 no. She felt like I should be walking around and moving through the house because this is her time to explore and see her, her world and her surroundings. So if you were to be a fly on the wall in my house during that time at, say, 3 o'clock in the morning, what you would have seen me doing is walking in a circle around the dining room table or the, ki the coffee table in my living room, singing and just sort of bouncing and rocking Prisca. And so most nights that I did this, I was not happy to be doing it. But on one particular night, <laughs> I was with my child, and I'm singing to her, and the song that used to comfort her the most was Blessed Assurance. So we're walking, and I'm bouncing her, and I would hold her cheek to cheek, and I would just sort of sing into her ear. And I'm, so I'm singing the song, and I'm walking around, and I'm singing this song. And I was just feeling overwhelmed with just love. You know, I'm just, I'm like, this is just awesome. My baby is just wonderful, and we're singing this song. Um, and... As I was singing to her and as I was um, just holding her in that way, um, a part of a verse from Zephaniah 3.17 came to me, and it, said, it was, um, he will rejoice over you with singing. And so I'm singing, and I'm singing her, to her. And as that verse came to me, the image that I got was God holding me like that, holding me cheek to cheek and just singing in my ear. And that image was so comforting. I walked around, and I'm like, that is just awesome. God, that you love me like this, that you love me like this. And the next thing that I heard the Holy Spirit say to me is, my love for you is so much deeper than that. So much deeper than that. 
in that moment, holding my child and singing to her, I could not imagine a love more powerful than that. I could not imagine a love more intense than that. But God says, my love for you is so much deeper than that. Do you believe that? Do we believe that God loves us that much? Do you believe that God's love for you is so big that you can't even wrap your mind around it? See, I'm convinced that for many of us, most of us, I dare say all of us, the answer to that question is no. We don't believe it. If you and I believed that an all-powerful God who literally flung the stars into space, if we believe that that God loved us that much, our lives would be different. How can you be afraid when that God loves you that much? There are people in this room right now who are sitting on things that God has called them to do. There are lives that you are living that are falling short of what God has asked you to live. And it's because you're afraid. You're afraid of what your friends will think, what your family will think. You are afraid of what rank strangers on the street will think. If that God loves you that much, of whom should you be afraid? See, if we believe that we were the apple of God's eye, the beloved of a God, the beloved of a God who created all things, we would walk in boldness. It would be no problem for us to go out and walk in the power and the authority that that God has given us because, again, what better safety net could there be? <laughs> I look at my kids when I'm with them, and, you know, we can go out and they do my Prisca, Lord have mercy, God bless her soul. If she was here, she would be on top of that panel trying to jump off, trying to do all manner of things. She has zero fear. Do you know why she has zero fear? Because up to this point in her life, when she leaps from tall things or tries to fling herself out of my arms, she's never hit the ground. <laughs> Somebody is always there to catch her. Someone is always there to make sure that she's okay. So why be afraid? If you believe that a God who is powerful, a God who created all things, a God who is sovereign, a God who sits on a throne, a God who says, I am the God that is with you, a God that says, I've given you a Holy Spirit and I dwell inside of you. If you believe that that God loved you that much, how could you be afraid? We walk around in bondage <laughs> for most of our lives. I know that what I shared at the beginning of this sermon about my testimony, about the way that I saw God, sort of this person who sits on a throne and makes some rules and punishes those who don't follow the rules, I know that I'm not the only person who felt that way. I know right now that there are people who struggle with that very thing in this room. We don't believe that God loves us the way that he does. We live lives of fear. We live lives of bondage because we don't believe it. Some of you in here have come in and you are so worried that it's hard for you to praise, it's hard for you to worship, it's hard for you to do anything. 
There are people who are sitting here who worry about everything. You're worried about your job. You're worried that you don't have a job. You're worried about money. You're worried about food. You're worried about your outfit. You're wor- you are consumed with worry. But we serve a God who says, do you see the grass of the field, the flowers, how beautiful they are clothed? If I clothe flowers, if I make fields and trees that look this good, do you, what? why do you think you need to worry? If birds fly and don't have to be worried about eating or drinking or where the next meal is going to come from, why are you so worried? Do you not know that I so loved you that I sent my son? <laughs> See, I think that if we fully grasp the depth of God's love for us, our lives would be so free. See, that's the abundant life God has called us to. That's the freedom that God has called us to. Many of us live in perpetual fear that we will mess up and be unacceptable to God. Do you realize that God is so devoted to you that he sent his son to die? See, that's why Paul can tell us in the book of Romans that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can make you unlovable to God. Because he loved you so much, he made a sacrifice that none of us can fully fathom or comprehend. Um, I've been blessed with a schedule that's allowed me to be at home with my kids when they are, you know, little. And so one of the results of being with your kids you know, constantly, aside from new gray hair. Um, One of the good sides of that is that you get to know your children really, really, really well. So, for example, my kids, neither of them, when they were babies, they didn't really cry when they were hungry. What they would do is give me that look, a look that said, all right now, (laughs) I'm going to give you a good five minutes to get me and get it together, right? This is what they would do because they knew that I would be there. And so I think, <laughs> I think that if we fully understood God's love for us, this is, the kind of, this is the kind of confidence that we would walk in. I don't have to cry, right? I don't have to be in despair. I'm not worried that this need that I have in my life isn't going to get met. <laughs> I'm not fearful because I know God has got me. <laughs> because that God loves me so much that he sent his son. When I think of my kids as infants, I know that they were at that time probably the most fearless that they will will ever be in their life. Because everything about their world, everything about their experience said, when you cry, somebody is there. You are perfectly protected. You are perfectly safe. You are perfectly nurtured. You are perfectly loved. And it's so sad, but that feeling doesn't last long. My oldest daughter is now four. And there are already things that she's afraid of. Because at four years old, 
despite the fact that, you know, Carlos and I love her so much, she has her grandmother in the house, my kids get a lot of love. <laughs> but despite all of that, she's already learned that people don't always come when you cry. That sometimes you're on your own. That mommy and daddy and granny can't protect me from everything. Sometimes my feelings get hurt and nobody's there to comfort me. She's already learned that. And so she's already fearful of certain kinds of things. And, you know, I think that that's us. If you only can think of God as Father, as powerful as that may be, you will be afraid at times because life has taught you that Father doesn't always show up when you need Father. But we, when we understand that God so loved us that he gave his son, imagine the best earthly father you could possibly think of, the perfect dad who is there when you cry, who is sweet and kind and nurturing and loving. Imagine the perfect mother who does all of the right things, says all of the right words. That falls terribly short of God's love for us. New community, we are so loved by an awesome God that that God said there is nothing off limits. There is nothing that I will take off the table when it comes to being in relationship with these people. There is nothing that I will not do to be in an intimate relationship with them. There is nothing that I will not do to be known fully by them and for them to be known fully by me. That is the God that we serve. That is the God that you serve. It is my prayer that we would understand this. And, and I will say, like I this was the biggest revelation for me that I had as a new believer. And this is something that I am constantly being reminded of, constantly having to live into. This is a revelation that we should grow into, we will grow into for the rest of our Christian lives. But my prayer is that if you didn't know it, let this be the first day that you start to grow into this reality. Let this be the first day that you start to recognize that God loves you. And that is not trite. <laughs> that is powerful. That is deep. That is life-changing. That is transformative. That gives you freedom. That gives you liberty. God loves you. <laughs> Um, I'm going to invite the worship team to make their way back up here. And um, one thing that I pray, and I, I say this at, in Bronzeville whenever I preach, I truly believe that when we come to church on a Sunday morning, wherever you are in the world, when you hear the word of God preached, I believe that that is transformative, right? I believe that we can walk out of here different. It shouldn't be something, to, you know, you come, you sit, you go through the motions, you leave, and life is exactly the way it was when you walked in those doors. Absolutely not. I believe that God is able to transform and that God absolutely does transform. And so what I want to invite you all to do as the worship team is playing, um, if this is an area where you have struggled in your life, and let me tell you how you can identify if you struggle with it. Because we give mental assent to God's love for us, right? So here's some practical ways for you to know if you struggle with this. If you are afraid to do the things that you feel God has called you to do, if you are fearful of people's reactions to you, if you struggle with insecurity on a regular basis to the point that it's crippling, if you are consumed with worry 
if you are consumed with doubt, if you are so broken that you can't spend a whole lot of time thinking about God because you're worried that it might break the last little bit of faith you have left, you struggle <laughs> with this. And so I want to invite you to come forward and to spend some time at the cross, at the altar, praying. And I want to invite you to stay there until you hear the Holy Spirit give you a reason to move. Until you feel something lifted. Because it's my prayer that not a single person in this room will walk out of here carrying the same baggage, burden, and load that they came in here with. And it doesn't mean that all of your problems are going to be fixed. That's not what I'm saying. But it means that you will know that every problem you are experiencing, every bag that you came in here heavy laden with, you walk with a God who loves you so much that he gave his son. So you may not have a job when you get up from the altar, right? The relationships that are hurting you that you are struggling with may continue to be broken when you get up from the altar. But what ought to be lifted is the weight, the heaviness, the burden that we carry. Because when you come to this altar and you pray, you know that you lay it at the feet of a God who wants nothing more than to be in an intimate relationship with you. A God that wants nothing more than for you to experience abundant life. A God that wants nothing more than for you to be free. Because he loved you so much that he gave his son to die. Pray with me. Father, it is my prayer, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each person who is here. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal to each person here the depth of the Father's love for them. I pray, God, that as we walk from this place, we would go out with joy, with peace, knowing that we serve a God, that we have been called into relationship with a God who has pursued us to the nth degree, who has done everything imaginable to be in relationship with us, knowing that we serve a God that loves us so much that you were willing to make a sacrifice that none of us can imagine that none of us can fathom. God, I pray that that would bring liberty for anyone who is bound. I pray, God, that that would bring freedom, Lord Jesus, from worry, freedom from fear, freedom from stress, Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move. I ask that you would speak. I ask that you would minister in this moment. Please let no one walk out of here with the same mess they walked in here with. Thank you, Jesus. And we give you the praise and we say thank you because we know that you are moving. Thank you because we know that you have done it. Thank you because I know that the burden has been lifted in Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you, God, for loving us in ways we can't love ourselves, for loving us in ways that we can't even 
fathom for loving us in ways that transforms our lives. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. And amen.